Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. It's been talked about, I think it's accepted on a certain level, that Americans specifically, but we can we can extrapolate it to the world, are getting bigger. That issues with weight, being overweight, and obesity, the tipping point, if you will, are a concern. And we see it addressed in a variety of different ways with the food you buy, to the messages you get, etc. And maybe changes you've made in your diet. But they're taking a look and say... By 2030, which, hold on a second, that is 10 years from now, that half, 50%, one in two of us will be obese. Uh, yeah, we're not talking five, ten pounds overweight. You know, no, so that's that you, not obese. So that you look good this summer laying by the pool in your bikini. By being obese, you're having some pretty dire health ramifications from that. Diabetes is is, is an issue with oh, that. Heart uh, disease, heart, uh, cardiovascular uh, disease, all the all the uh, uh, orthop- orthopedic things, your legs, your hips, the, the joints. Yes. And, and there's more and more research out there right now that also is lending itself to what you put in your body with the highly processed foods, the impact that's having on your brain. So we, so we talk tr- about depression and anxiety. Good, that's good also point. another aspect of it. Good point. And I. I think that there is a message out there, and it's why you see people, uh, we've seen like a, a making some changes. You see restaurants having to adjust their menus. You see things like calorie counts on, men, on menus, right? That there is a movement to try to maybe better educate people, but is it enough? Yeah, we all know going to a fast food joint for lunch. And piggy sizing it. Well, let's just, just eating fast food in general is not good for you. I try not to eat food that's delivered through the window of my car. You know, and if you do it, is once a week okay? Is once a month okay? Is once a year okay? You know, you have those different parameters, but it becomes a crutch for a lot of people, and they know that it's not healthy. Right. You're, eating not, you're, out, not, you're under no illusion that uh, uh, the, the supersizing your number five is health food. And we're under no illusion that buying a big gulp is good for you either. Okay. okay. So why do we continue to do it? So why do we still do so it? So we find out, you know, half of us, again, are going to be obese in the next 10 years, and we're still continuing to do it. We know what to do. We just don't do it. We choose not to, because it's the hard stuff. It's easier just to, like, you know what, go out to lunch and and swing by the fast food joint, get the big gulp because it feels good, and it's easy, and it's convenient, and guess what? It's cheap. We know it's not good for us, but we do it anyway. So if we know how to make good choices, if we are reasonably educated now, like you say, you know the big gulp's not health food. You know this is not doing good for you then what else can be done? Or do we just have to live with the idea that uh, 50% of us are going to be obese? Well, when you live with the idea that 50% of us are going to be obese by 2030, then you're also going to have to live with the idea that your health insurance premiums are going to continue to go through the roof. Through the roof. Because the health care costs to that are just immeasurable. And is, is it hard to, to eat healthy? Well, you know, you can make that argument that cooking every night is not the easiest thing to do. I try to do it at least four to five times a week. All right. And 
done on those other nights, you know, we, we, we might go out maybe once a week, but then I make leftovers. I purposely make more food so I don't have to cook a night. Like tonight, for instance. For I instance. Leftovers last night, so I don't have to cook tonight. Um, but it's, it's the idea of like, again, we know what to do. We just are choosing not to do it. Uh-huh. So should we be forced to do it? I'm talking about Ooh. like these different taxes that you've seen pop up in different municipalities, like the city of Phoenix, for instance, or excuse me, the city of Philadelphia, for instance. They put a soda tax on three years ago, a 1.5 cents an ounce tax was put on all of these purchases, and, and a lot of people were upset about it. They, they said it was not aggressive. A fan of it. Yeah, it's unfair. It targets low-income people. It's short-sighted. Things along those lines. But here's the deal: I don't even drink soda. I thought total it was purchases of these like sugar kind of beverages, not just soda, but you're also looking at a lot of different juices and things along Energy those lines. Energy drinks have a lot yeah. dropped forty percent. Okay, but that gets into a fundamental question, Pamela, which is. Whose job is it to save you from yourself? Is it government's job to save you from yourself? Because I would make the argument, and we've seen this starting to sprout its ugly head, that is there a free market answer to this? Here's what I mean by that. If your weight, your BMI, your obesity, whatever you want to say, your your health was directly tied to costs you had to pay for health insurance, et cetera, things like that. Would that be the final incentive? Would people say, I can't afford to be obese? Do you see what I'm saying? Would that be the thing where you say, well, that's how we're going to do it? Because I don't know if I'm a fan of cities, states, or federal government saying, we're going to protect you from obesity because you want to clamp down here. My problem is, I think people that make bad decisions will just make them somewhere else. All right, so how about rewarding me for the good decisions I'm making? Well, is that- I get up three times a week at 4.30 to hit the gym by 5, so I can come to work. But, and some companies five, do, don't they? I cook, you know, five nights a week, and my, my grocery card is full and of fruits and vegetables. And your health insurance should cost less than the person who has to be wheeled in here. Yeah, absolutely, it You should. know, because they can't walk anymore, they're too heavy. I wear sunscreen every single time I go outside. Okay, that I don't. You know. Um. Like, there are yeah. different things that, that we all do. You see me here. I go through these. Uh, I've got this huge mason jar. I go through two of those during a show. I'm drinking water. Yeah, exactly. So I eat the salad. <laughs> I drink soda, I the swear. water. Yeah. I get off my butt. Why uh-huh. am I paying the same as someone else? No, and that, but so th- I guess the question would be, should you pay less or should they pay more? We can, we can have that argument. But my argument is, should it not be a financial incentive slash disincentive in some way, shape, or form? That if... Health insurance is directly tied to your weight. And we know, should, the, should people who are reasonably healthy have to pay a premium for your bad choices? Or should government tax the hell out of soda pop? I mean, think about this. Government taxes the heck out of cigarettes. I'm assuming part of it is, is a disincentive sure for people to smoke. But there's still some people also, who smoke. And it's also for programs... To help those who've become sick, mm-hmm. do I mean alcohol you wanna, has you big do the taxes, same thing right? for uh, highly processed foods that are shown to have a direct impact on the health of your heart mm. and and so many other like chronic illness. We're, we're, I mean, we're focusing on obesity, something that we can see. Right? Yeah. You walk down the street, you you go into a store. Let's put it this way: you go to a sporting event, okay, an area or a concert that has a ton of people. Okay. And and it is it's a cross section of Phoenix. Sure. And what you're going to see is a lot of people are obese. 
Yeah, a I, lot of people are obese. Agree. And and so what do you do about that? But yet the the line to get the pretzel, the beer, the nachos is is out the window. I mean, it, mm. it's so long. Um, so what do you do about that? We is there a line for kale at those events? Do you know how that's the okay? You know, so now you're getting me on my soapbox. Uh oh. Okay, you know get up hard, on the soapbox. Do you know how hard it is to find? healthy, convenient food? Almost impossible. It most definitely is. I say kale because I'm about ready to try something, and you need to help me understand this because I'm not even 100% sure what kale is. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know that I'm a fan of the Chick-fil-A. Yeah. And I do make... Uh, here's my smart decision. I get the grilled nuggets. Mm-hmm. They're low-calorie. They're not They're not breaded. They're not fried. I get the grilled nuggets. So it's, just, it's basically chicken breast. But they have a kale, crunchy kale salad. That I'm thinking of trying. Try it. Mostly because of the word crunchy. Why wouldn't you try it? Because I didn't think kale was crunchy for some reason. I thought it was soggy like lettuce. No. Well, I mean, they're probably putting something else in it to make it crunchy. Okay, so I need to. I need to you see what else out. is in it. Okay. But 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 kale. Dear Chick Fil A at Sixteenth and Camelback, I'm going to come and get a, a kale salad. Let me so. know how it is. I didn't know they were offering that. That's intriguing to me. It is intriguing because mm-hmm. again, I'm trying. Like you are, Pamela. You are light years in front of me. Let's get that out of the way. Well, I'm not trying to be But I'm trying to make smarter decisions. Again, if even if it's something as simple as, you know, I'm addicted to chicken nuggets, but I'm, I'm having the grilled nugget. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any sauce with them, by the way. I don't dip it in ranch. You see what I'm saying? And it's 120 calories or whatever. So I'm, I'm making better decisions. I'm trying, but it is not easy. It's not. And, and that's why, you know, I know it's a, it's a local company and it, it's Ooh. really, if I'm hungry and I'm out and about and I just need to grab something and Who's go, that? it's salad and go. We've got one right down the street here. Okay. And there is always a lot. You get it through the, the, the window. They do hand right? it through the window. Okay. But it's good and it's healthy and so much of it is organic and it, they're they're bringing costs down. I think they're an example of what's going okay. right in the food industry, but it is hard. Yesterday, oh my goodness, yesterday. So um, I knew I would have to run out to a parent-teacher conference. Yes, you did. So I, I grabbed some rotisserie chicken from the kitchen at home and I threw it in my lunchbox. You know I bring a lunchbox pretty much every single day. You bring a lunchpail, yes. And so lunch pail, I, I, go to, I go to eat some of it about 11 yeah. and I realized I forgot to put ice in it. So the chicken has been sitting in the lunchbox for four hours okay, without refrigeration. I don't eat that then. Okay. And, at the, and so I wanted to grab something on my way to the parent-teacher conference, and it had to be quick. And there, I, I ended up not eating until 2 o'clock because th- you there just wasn't anything. You could make a good decision, right. right. Tough to make a good decision when you're and out then of And then I swung by the Boston Market because— Oh, the Beaumont. Yeah. I think there's like one in the valley now. Yeah. Um, make good choices is what I learned from this. Yeah. And, and you that, have the power to make those choices. Yeah. And, and if you and, don't make good choices, don't blame somebody else for them. No, no. And and I would make an argument that you should have to pay for your bad decisions, not me. That's what I would Or pay me for my good ones. Hmm. So after literally decades of fighting, the longest war the United States has ever been involved in, are we ready to shake hands and call a truce with the Taliban? <laughs> Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Because I have a lot of free time on my hand, and I do find it fascinating, I went back and I, I, I've i been watching some uh, documentaries on Afghanistan and Iraq and understanding. And, and you know what motivated me was hmm. we have a story this week of two American servicemen uh, dying in a insurgent attack. And... I am 
frustrated, I guess you might say. And it is disheartening to me that we still have men and women in harm's way, literally this second, who are wearing our our nation's flag on their shoulder and are patrolling a province or city or trying to chase after bad guys in Afghanistan, specifically right now. And most Americans don't care whatsoever. It's not even a second thought. And they die and, eh, eh, oh, well, you know. Um, we've been fighting there. It is our longest war we've ever been involved in. It's longer than Vietnam. But World War II lasted three years. Yeah, I mean, like, it's amazing how long we've been there. The, the lives, the resources. And while it is, it is difficult for me to wrap my head around this. I understand it. We are, and we have been for a little while, in negotiations with the Taliban for a truce, a end to fighting. And when I think about that, I'm like, well, you don't negotiate with terrorists and the Taliban. I mean, think about everything that's gone. But, but, but I'm immediately followed up with, well, then what's the solution? If the solution is not to negotiate some end to hostilities in Afghanistan and get American servicemen and women just out of the country. I, I don't think, short of anybody wants a vacation there, I don't think we should be there. What is the solution? We haven't been able to bomb it out of them. We haven't been able to shoot it out of them. I, I mean, what more is it we can do from a military aspect that would fundamentally change the outcome? And is the argument that we're just putting men and women in harm's way when we know what the ending is. And the ending is we're going to leave and Afghanistan's going back to being Afghanistan, amazingly enough. that They've, they've survived this before, Afghanistan. Genghis Khan, you know, Alexander the Great. You know, plenty have tried, none have ever succeeded. And it's difficult to say, okay, what do we just call it, a tie? How do we get out? And I, again, I will give Trump credit for this. Trump is the one who wants to end these wars and wants to get us out of there. Good. Make it so. We are working to finally end America's longest war and bring our troops back home. Okay, so how do you go about doing that? You have Mike Pompeo, who had said this about a week ago. We got close once before to having an agreement, uh, a piece of paper that we mutually executed, and the Taliban were unable to demonstrate either their will or their capacity, or both, to deliver on a reduction in violence. And so what we are demanding now is demonstrable evidence of their will and capacity to reduce violence. It sounds like a chicken and egg argument. Mm -hmm. Okay. From what I understand, and, and I know there's there's listeners right now who have served in Afghanistan. Sure. Uh, I have friends who have lost, who served there and have lost buddies and lost comrades there. I or have people have lost sons. Uh, uh, people that have been, have come back injured. Mm -hmm. Right? Lives change forever. I, I asked them, so what's the solution? Do they have an answer? I got to tell you. Overwhelmingly, not 100%, overwhelmingly, the response I get from people that have served there is, we cannot fundamentally change 
how Afghanistan operates, works, and how the Afghan people think. So do they want, we can't do it. But help me understand, do they want to stay so that no. the so that all the time we've spent there isn't in vain? But see that's the and that's the the never ending road argument. I get if, it. if the argument is if we leave, it's gonna go back to being this kind of lawless uh, warlords and whatever. Well we can't do that because it was all for naught. But if we stay, none of that other stuff's gonna change. We're just a target for the bad guys. We are the invaders. So what's this agreement that, that they're working on? It's based, We have been negotiating. I kid you not. We have been negotiating with Taliban leaders for basically a ceasefire. We'll stop bombing your tent if you stop trying to blow up our Jeep, you know, our Humvees. That's the beginning of this negotiation. And you could certainly make an argument. And again, just somebody tell me, what does victory look like? How do you win in Afghanistan? And if you can no longer tell me what any of that looks like, then why are you still there? The problem is that question wasn't asked at the beginning. And nobody wants to, quote, lose on their watch. By the way, the exact same thing that happened in Vietnam and the reason four presidents just kept a war going because none of them wanted to be, quote, the loser. I don't think it's about losing anymore. I really don't. Let's call it a draw. (laughs) Let's agree to disagree in Afghanistan. And move on and let them go back to being what they are. Are people really putting off getting married just because of debt theirs or mm, their significant others? Or are they just using this as an excuse? I got questions talking about it next on Arizona's News Station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Different generations approach holy matrimony differently. I think that's fair to say. And we know that a younger generation, darn kids today, uh, are getting married later in life, having children later in life, for a variety of reasons we can acknowledge, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons being given, and again, I can't do the math. What, what is two and five? What percentage is that? 40%. Okay, if you say so. 40%. Of, uh, of of youngsters out there, the younger generation, say that they have put off getting married because of outstanding debt, either their own or uh, marrying into it, for lack of a better term. Sure. You know, if you are in love and you want to get married, and I know a lot of those questions are going to be popped oh, tomorrow and this yeah, weekend yeah. over Valentine's Day weekend, but you have different spending habits, you have different money philosophies, or you have one partner who has so much more debt than the other, it's one of the things that are forcing people to put off getting married. There were 2,000 young adults that were surveyed. Half were millennials, half were Gen Z. Okay. And they found 37% said that they're putting off those wedding plans due to outstanding balances in their lives. Hmm. And I'm not, I, I, I think that for some people that could be a very good reason. We know that money and money stresses can be one of the leading causes of divorce in this country. So why don't, start don't start with that? Right. Why why start uh, your marriage in in, in a well, in a bad place? But, but I, I, it strikes me as a bit of an excuse, and here's why. And by the way, an I think excuse. It's, a, it's okay. a good excuse. And by the way, you guys use it as much as you need to. Um, if you're in a relationship. And you're not married. Mm-hmm. We know there's people. They live together. Sure. Uh, they have a pet. They might even have kids. 
the debt is still there. Mm-hmm. Like the the idea that that you're not going to get married because of the other person's debt. Well, it's affecting your relationship in some way, shape, or form. Now, if you're telling me that you don't want to get married because the wedding's going to cost you a hundred grand, okay, that you don't want to take on the debt because that's what I've heard before, and I agree with that. Where you don't want to start your married life off paying off your wedding or your honeymoon, sure, right? That's smart. But if you're already in a relationship with somebody and they owe, insert whatever amount of credit cards, student loans, car debt, whatever it is, well, you're still in the relationship with them. Yeah. And I think it's a convenient excuse to say, well, I'm not going to get married because of this, but it's perfectly okay for us to live together. I don't know if it's if it's a convenient excuse. Could some people be using it as such? Sure. I wouldn't see it as an excuse. I would see it as a healthy step towards a healthy relationship. If Not all debt is created equal. And okay. if you have outstanding student loan debt, well, is that getting you somewhere? Does that mean that you have a better chance of, of higher earnings because of that college degree? Well, that could be considered good debt. Not that any debt is really good, but, but that's totally different than having a credit card that you've maxed out or several credit cards that you've maxed out because, oh, you just needed that new pair of shoes. And, oh, you know what? I had to go on the trip with my buddies. Or, oh, you know what? That handbag just went so great with those <laughs> shoes that I just bought. It did, that, by the way. You know what? You look stunning, yeah. but you're in debt. And if, if you have two people that have different spending habits, one's a spender and one's a saver, of which, you know what? That's the case in my marriage. But we're, we have the same philosophy. We have the same priorities. Yes, I like to spend more than Chris does. <laughs> and it, it's always like a push, pull, push, pull. But we, we respect the fact that we want to be debt free mm. and we are debt free. And that's what our goal is. But you understand so you my have point. to You're... have those conversations early on. And if you, as a couple, have decided, you know what? I I want to get my finances in order. I don't want to marry you and then have you have to take on my debt as well. This is mine. And, and let, let, let me get a handle on that before we start our new relationship together as a married couple. I think that that's healthy because most people don't have that conversation. Let me tell you, the boomers out there didn't talk like that. Well, it was an the issue, Gen was Xers. It? Gen X, uh, like my generation, and it, it, it's an issue. Yeah, not so much as it is for Gen Z and, and millennials. But I think it's a healthy discussion that you've got young people that are talking more about debt because this was something that I don't want to speak for you, Bruce, but I assume like you didn't talk about in your families. Like you didn't know how much your parents made. You didn't know how much they owed. That you didn't, you know, you didn't learn no. about credit card debt. No. You didn't learn you didn't about talk what, about things like that, right? And the fact that they are talking about it and making different decisions, I see as a as a plus, but, not as a negative. But is this strictly because of things like student debt, which is a I say new, relatively new phenomena? For for people, something in the last 10, 15 years, the amount of it's debt. It's not that you're new. I had so much debt. I know people right now who are in their 40s kissing 50 that are still paying off student really? loans. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Again, my my impression is that it's it's the no, is it more? It could be. And yeah. The percentage of your income type thing is much higher than it used to be. And and there you may have a point. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, again. If if you are these young kids today, nearly two in five, which Pamela assures me is forty percent of you, oh my goodness, are putting off marriage due to debt. I just hey, good on you. Don't get me wrong, but I, I guess my question again gets back to, well, then how is it affecting your non-married relationship? I'm sure it is to a certain degree. 
But having these conversations are a good thing. You've got about 40 percent of the people in the survey say that they're aware of how much debt their partner has and they've offered to take it on themselves. And that in and of itself is quite a change. But they're aware? Aware, because mm-hmm. when you dating somebody, uh, even in a serious relationship, it wasn't like you were going through their bank account at the same time. Correct. It yeah. just wasn't a thing. Yeah, I, I don't see this as a, as a bad thing or as an excuse. It's a hell of an excuse. I, I, I look like at it. it as in, hey, you're having good discussions that should be taking you place before you walk be down the aisle. Hey, your Phoenix area Subaru retailers and KTAR News want to send you on an Arizona adventure. Text the word adventure to 411923 to enter to win one of four Arizona adventures, including a hiking tour of the Grand Canyon. Subaru, go where love takes you. So I live in the city of Phoenix. I am a Phoenician. Pamela, not a gillbilly like you. It's not a gillbilly. I thought Gilbert we agreed on that. No, you made that okay. distinction, not me. But is the Phoenix City Council just reaching into my pocket one more time? And this time, over trash collection? We're talking about it next on Arizona's News Station. Arizona's News Station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. All right. I, I guess I can understand. It costs money to pick up the trash and the recycling on the curb. The question is, how much? That's because the city of Phoenix or the city council voted this week to increase the price of trash collection by $7 a month. All public comment at the city council favored rate hikes. I'm dependent on my garbage being collected. The growing city with a changing waste stream requires that they innovate and adapt their services. In April, weekly trash compost and recycling collection goes up to $33.20 a month. Councilman Sal DeCicio says enough with the fees. We saw a rate increase last year of 12% for water. We saw Uber and Lyft threaten to leave this airport because of fee increases. Collection fees haven't been increased in 11 years, and China isn't buying as many recyclables as before. Okay, I think you have to take a look at that. These fees have not been increased 11 years. And yeah, China and the recycling revenue we get from them has absolutely plummeted. The recycling business has changed. And that's recent. Yeah. That's recent. They want their plastics in like near pristine condition, which is just not we how have to clean our garbage work. before we send it to them. Right. So the revenue Good that night. the city has gotten from that has gone away. So what do you do? Well, we know that there have been employees that have took a pay cut for a time. Okay. That's only going to last for so long. Green. If you don't have money coming in, but money going out, something's got to change. And so this is what it's going to be. Now, it's not as though uh, in two months from now, you're going to have your your bill, which is you know twenty six eighty per month for weekly trash, going to go up. No, it's going to go up uh, about half, three seventy five in April, and then another three twenty five in January of next year. I think one of the concerns is, and I, I'll echo Councilman DeCicio on this, is certainly recently it appears that citizens of the city of Phoenix are getting nickel and dimed, one thing after another, where the city council is looking to generate monies off of fees, services, etc. Um, last year, water rates went up 12%. We have the Uber Lyft debacle, whatever. It's in court, right? We don't even know how that one's going to end. 
Now you've got, we're going to increase this. Again, I can acknowledge that I'm sure it costs more to pick up garbage today than it did 11 years ago. But if if the world of recycling is changing, mm-hmm. which, it, which it is, I mean, yeah. that's just a given. That's not an opinion, right? Are we looking forward and changing with it or are we playing catch up because that's one of the arguments behind it is well what efficiency should we be looking at are is it still effective to do two um uh um, what do you call them bins you know Uh, should we just have one and just say hey recycling doesn't work like it used to i mean you see what i'm saying like what are we looking at as alternatives to just an ever-increasing Oh, they did. They, they, lo- they looked at several alternatives. There was an option that would have ended what they call compost collection. They would have reduced recyclable collection to every other week, which is in line with the demand for it. Um, I only it, put my can out. And the other, other would have ended compost and recycled collection altogether. Yeah. But this hike was the one that um, those options would, would still come with a fee increase. And resulted in, you know, lost jobs within the city. Would it have been a $7 fee increase? Maybe not. Maybe it would have been a little bit lower. But alternatives were, in fact, examined. I I guess, you know, I know that Councilman DeCicio is against fees and taxes. And and for the most part, so am I. But you have to look at these things individually and see if individually they stand on their merit. I think you can do a great disservice to a city or to any entity when you just start lumping things together without looking specifically as to why you're looking for those changes. So in this case, with the waste increase, you haven't done it in 11 years and the industry has changed. Mm -hmm. Nothing has gotten cheaper in 11 years. Okay, so should the fee increase go through? I'm not a a resident of Phoenix. I don't necessarily have a dog in this. I wonder how much do you but, pay in Gilbert? Okay. I don't know, is it fundamentally different? Yeah. But it's one of those things where if the recycling industry is in fact changing, which it is, it, it is. I would expect fee increases to this this being like the tip of the iceberg. Other municipalities in the valley are probably going to follow suit. So I'm bra- no, I'm not bracing, but I'm expecting that to happen. It can't be okay, cheaper in so, Gilbert. Yeah. Okay, so Fine on the the waste increase. Now let's take a look at water and the cost of water going up 12% last year. I'm not in the city of Phoenix. I don't know what the argument for that was, but was it a reasonable argument? Decide yes or no. Then you get to the Uber and Lyft and threatened, you know, to leave Sky Harbor and the fee increases there. Is that legitimate? In my opinion, no. So I, I think lumping them all together is a bad form. I think individually you have to look at them and decide what's right and what's wrong. In my opinion, with a city of phoenix is i get what they're doing when it comes to waste increase i think the problem is you have on the city uh city of phoenix uh, the city council you have nine members and seven of them vote for taking more of my money every single time they've never met a fee increase a rate increase or a new stream of revenue that they didn't think was a good idea and there is a concern certainly among a lot of people who live in phoenix that well where where does that end When's enough enough? Sure, and that's why you have to look at each one individually and make that line as to when it's enough. Every vote is 7 to 2, which is just so frustrating. What happens next for people stuck on these cruise ships because of the coronavirus? We'll tell you the latest coming up next.